Guys, if you're looking to upgrade your wardrobe, you cannot go past TMJ Apparel Premium Athletic Culture Goods. And just a reminder, until the end of April 2023, we have an exclusive 20% offer for listeners of the Fitness Times Business Podcast. Use the exclusive code FXB upon checkout at massivejoes.com to score your 20% off the full range of TMJ apparel, including our world-famous oversized tees, all men's workout apparel, the full line of women's activewear, all training accessories, lifting straps, belts, sleeves, and bags, and the entire range of athletic-inspired casual wear. Until the end of April, 20% off when you guys use the code FXB upon checkout at massivejoes.com. It's only a few days left. Make the most of it. I hope you guys enjoyed part one of Vision, Passion, and Action with special guest Tony Doherty as much as I did recording it. Part two is coming your way right now. I know it's been a little bit of a wait, but I guarantee it has been worth the wait. Part two, Vision, Passion, and Action with special guest Tony Doherty starts now. Let's get down to business. Thanks for coming out tonight. I wrote me a manual, a step-by-step booklet for you to get. Oh, I make money moves. You can't see me, my time is now. So we spent 48 hours, non-stop around the clock, no one slept, setting this venue up. We turned it from this dank old warehouse into this black theatre with 200 TV screens for the backdrop. This guy did an incredible job, and he was a guy that was going to do our sound and lighting for the Arnold. And we managed to pull it off um, the Australian Pro Qualifier. And I'm like, at least we didn't let the bodybuilders down because that's where my heart is. So it took the focus away from the loss and the impact it was having on me personally. Yeah. Went home that night, fuck it. So I lit up a cigar in the balcony, vodkas or whatever, and, and uh, one of my mates rings and says, turn your TV on right now. Turn the TV. So I think Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, saying as of – Nine o'clock tomorrow morning, all fitness centres must close. Shut down. Oh, um, well, hang on a minute. So we had all the other and then just as I had a little win with the, the pro qualifier, Jim yeah. shut tomorrow and go, I've got any keys. I always made this big deal because their gyms were always stuff. We're going to throw the keys away when we open. So I go, well, I'm going to have one win. I'm going to ring the locksmith now. Maybe he won't know because he'll be putting his prices up tomorrow. So I got to this locksmith. He had to come down. We had to cut keys for the gyms. And that was one of the hardest things in my life. There's members were crying on their way out, going, what are we going to do? This is our home. We've come here every day for 20 years. Um, that's why we're – it's a little thing that holds our life together. So then I'm like, well, what can I do? And I thought, well, maybe I could just fight for our industry. And luckily I got a call from – I think it was like 3AW or Herald Times. Someone made a, got a call to ask about gyms closing down. So – I started mouthing off about, well, why would they close us down? We know more about personal hygiene than everyone. We're in the fucking sweat business. Like we have had hand sanitizer in our gym 15 years, not 15 minutes. We've got a, a check-in system where we know where everyone is, doing contact tracing, all this thing. We wrote the book. Then I started getting um, all these calls from the media. You know how much media I got to? I didn't call anyone. So, you know, Peter Credlin uh, from Sky News and then 7, 9, 10, radio all over Australia, everything. So all of a sudden I become this – unofficial spokesperson for the fitness industry. And I think that helped me to cope. I think that got me through some really, really dark times. I'm like, well, at least I can fight. And it was just like Fitness Australia and these other mobs that weren't doing a damn thing. Mm -hmm. And they were protecting like the big club chains and, and, you know, the smaller gyms and the bodybuilding Mm -hmm. style gym. We were just getting beaten up. And I'm like, 
I'll just put all my energy into that. And then I started doing more social media on Instagram and that trying to give people like tools to get through it and talk about resilience. This is going to pass like all things and this and this. Um, but I didn't know the toll it was taking on me, to be honest. It, it, I think all of us, you know, the first two lockdowns were kind of fun. I'm sick of people. I can I can also be an introvert. I'm cool with this. I'm just going to do some renovating and hang out at home. And I think everyone drank too much and just, you know, stayed home, watched too much Netflix and just did whatever we could to cope, right? But then when it got to like a year, yeah. oh, man. You know, Jim's in Victoria ended up being closed 367 days and that last lockdown, that last long one, yeah, and don't forget that I cancelled the Arnold I put it forward for 12 months. I said, well, I've lost that money, but I've got to kind of put the chips back in and it'll be on next year. And we, you just Happened again. Yeah, and then you we just re- had no way of knowing. Right, and then we rebranded point, right? it to FitFest because Arnold didn't want to travel. Yep. He didn't want to come out. And yep. I, well, why have his name on if he's not going to come? And, yep. and we didn't even know if there'd be any more Arnold Classics in the world. So we come up with this FitFest concept. And then that failed and that got cancelled two more times. So I ended up losing like $1.6 million on, on expos that I essentially didn't have. So then I had to tank the Arnold Classic Company in Australia, which I've never done that before. Didn't know anyone. Like we'd paid all of our bills, but people had bought tickets and put money in for booths, which we had to kind of close on. And and it didn't do me any good, you know, just as it – because I always do the right thing. And all of a sudden I was like, shit, this is – it's not me that caused it, but the effect of my madness and vision is now that – People are left without, and it was a really, really hard time. And well, it wasn't wasn't your fault, but it was still your yeah. But I never. I, I'm one of those people. I never say oh, it's your fault. It's your fault. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. And as the leader of something, when you take on as much um, accountability as someone like me does, I'm like, no, it doesn't fall on anyone else's shoulder. This is squarely it's on, on me. Yeah. I'll take all the hits. Yeah. And man, did I take some hits, you know? And and uh, you know, just to have a, a moment of, of absolute. Um, um, honesty, uh, uh, transparency is the word I'm looking for, is that last lockdown nearly wiped me out, man. I, I, I come back out of it really bad. Like wasn't, I wasn't like depressed but I'd become, um, I think everyone said oh, it's so hard to stay home and to be in this isolation. I found it hard to be back around people. I didn't want to be near anyone. It took me months. I'd walk away from conversations. I'd see someone I hadn't seen for ages. We'd get through the little hug, and that I'd just feel like emotional. I'm like, I can't be around this. This it was not even social anxiety. It was like a social anger um, that th- this situation had created, and I didn't like myself very much. And I was kind of like, quitting's still not a choice, you know. And this is this is what we've got to get across to people that, that like. Man, we got our, everything knocked out. We got our legs knocked out. From, it was like that Monty Python carrier coming out in your knees and they chop your arms. I'm going, I'll bite you. You know, like I'm just going to fight until there's nothing left. And 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 the comeback from that was really, really hard. So once again, I'm like, here I am. I've got no money. I've just done my balls. I've had to put staff off from the expo because it's not going ahead for a couple of years. Let's focus on what we can do, not what we can't do. Right, bodybuilding. We own bodybuilding and we're making it great again and everyone's dying for a show. So let's start with our first season back after effectively three years, you know, and um, let's get the gyms pumping in. Let's take advantage of all these renovations we did. Let's just get up every day and fight. And and in in developing a process again and working hard again, I learned to socialise again. I learned to integrate myself back. But it, it, once again, patience didn't happen in a week. But what I didn't do was stay home and feel sorry for myself. 
And probably for the first time in my life, I really didn't want to leave the house, man. I, I had days where I'd get up or I'd go on a bender the night before I'd have a whole bottle of wine, a whole bottle of vodka, wipe myself out. And this is this is only a year and a half ago and go, maybe that'll give me an excuse not to leave the house. It was almost like this self-sabotage. And I've never been like a self-sabotage kind of guy. I've kind of had fun but always show up. But I still got up and went to work every single day. I'm like, you know what? You can do this. You have to do this because what else is there? Giving up is not an option. So once again, just be patient. Everything will come good, you know. And here we are. Here we are, you know, just flying again every weekend. And it's funny, I was um, I was going to do this post on this this week. I put this. I took a picture in this dirty old mirror backstage at a venue last week and I, I was about to start the show and said, someone said, it must be hard getting up speaking in front of so many people. And I just had this moment, I go, hard. No, you know, getting up and doing something you hate is hard. Looking up in the sky and seeing a plane flying over, no, you'll never, ever be able to afford to be on one. That's hard. Digging fucking holes, working in a sewage plant, that's hard. I had a dream and a vision to be this guy in this suit looking at a dirty old mirror backstage before someone gives me a microphone and I go out and be a funny bastard and entertain people and do what I dearly love. That's not hard. This is a privilege and it, it, it's, it's an absolute honour to be me doing what I do. So let's be really fucking good at it. Let's give the people what they want, right? And I had this little thing. I actually talked. It was the first time I've ever done it. I was standing this old sweat-stained mirror backstage somewhere, talking to myself in the mirror going, come on, you motherfucker, go out there and light this crowd up. And I had this moment of, and it was because someone challenged me and said, um, must be hard doing what you do. I'm like, hard? Man, I couldn't have dreamt this shit up. And I went out, man, I, I lit that place up all day. It was so f- engaging and funny. I was right in the moment. I'm like, that's where it's at. It's perspective. It's always perspective. It's how you look at something. It's like, you know what? It made hard. People would say to me when I was doing all the travel with the artists, oh, it must be hard, all that flying. Yeah. What, going to 10 countries a year, um, interviewing Arnold in six continents in one year, smoking cigars with my hero, you know, eating in the best restaurants in the world, flying, you know, the right end of the plane after being up the back for, for so long. That's not hard. Hard's hating yourself. Hard's hating your actual existence in your job, knowing that you – had a bigger and a better plan. And if you're listening to this and you get up in the morning and you go, you know what, this really, really sucks. I should be this person, that person, then take a chance. Take a fucking chance on yourself. Ditch that shit that you hate and go after it. And, yes, it's going to be hard and, yes, you're going to be hungry and, yes, you're going to be broke. And it's funny, I'll just divert a little bit because people measure success in different ways and you put me on a pedestal before and said, oh, you've done all this and this and this. And I have, man. I mean, I sometimes have to pinch myself and go, fucking hell, that was pretty cool. But I haven't made a lot of money. Like, really haven't. Like, I, I compare other people that went through the industry at the same time. I know one guy started a gym chain. No one knows his name. Sold it for $60 million. Retired, you know, cruising around on a yacht somewhere. Um, I'm not that guy. Now, and sometimes I go, oh, what would be better? Would that be, like, better? Or would it be better being this kind of household name that's the face of the fitness industry that's, you know, the godfather of bodybuilding, if you like? I'll go, you know what, I'll, I'll take B. I'll, I'll be me. Yeah. Um, because I, I think to me um, being that person was more important than being super rich or being this unknown, you know, uh, uh, shareholder in some 
you know, publicly listed wank. I, I don't get all that, man. I, I'm happy being me. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone measures success differently, right? Yeah. So, yeah. and I think one of the ultimate measures of success is happiness, true happiness. You know, you can have all the money in the world. You can have all of the external validation in the world. If it doesn't bring you fulfillment and happiness, what's the point? Well, you know what? I've got something to say, tell you and share on that is you've got to love the process, Joe. And this is where so many people go wrong. I'm this looking is- at you now preparing for your, your first big overseas bodybuilding show in, in Pittsburgh in a few weeks, which I'm going to be at. But I look at that and I go, if you said I'll be happy when I step up on stage in Pittsburgh, then you're really going to fail. It's being happy with the process. It's being able to go to bed nights and didn't cheat on my diet, did every single step. And I did that when we did our little seminar series around Australia and I challenged every competitor getting ready for their show, said manage your expectations and here's your win. If you can stand up on stage and say, I could not have done anything better. I've done every single thing. I didn't eat one grain of rice I shouldn't have eaten. I never missed a step on the step mill. I never did uh, cheated on one single rep. Then you get up there with dignity and you win. Right, and this applies to business. If you don't enjoy the process, when you go back, you say, "Well, measure of success." Some people, you know, they think they're going to be happy. People think they're going to be happy when they get the house on the hill, the ten million dollars in the saving account, the hot bride, you know, the social circle they want to be in, and they get there, and they get up in the house on the hill, and they look out over the view and go, "I'm fucking lonely and bored and depressed." Why? That's why. Because you didn't enjoy the process. You thought, "I'll be happy when." No, just be. You know. Work on being happy with who you are and what you do every day. Go to bed at night going, fuck, I couldn't have packed more into my life and my day than what I did today. That is that is a true measure of, I think, success. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. Something you've taught me that I have spoken about a number of different times uh, in this podcast and a number of different episodes and contexts are the three fears that stand between who you currently are and who you're trying to become. And you articulate these as the fear of failure, the fear of self-doubt, and the fear of other people's opinions. And I know that you have confronted all three of these on multiple occasions during your journey. But they are, you know, and I've seen them time and time again. Fear of failure stops people from pursuing what it is they want to pursue because they're afraid of what happens if it doesn't work out. Self-doubt stands between who somebody's trying to become because they don't think they have the skills or the experience or more importantly, can't develop the skills and the experience to become that person or achieve that thing. People will not go and pursue what it is that sets their heart on fire because they're afraid of what this person's going to say or that person's going to think or this person on social media is going to comment or whatever the fuck, other people's opinions. How have you found combating those three fears in pursuit of your goals? When I started doing my relentless momentum talks, helping others, um, one of the segments was that. That's how I came up with those three things. I thought, what are the three big dream killers? And they were the three things I came up with. So I, I learned, I think if you know what they are, then you've got to address them. Well, I said, okay. So self-doubt. All right. So I don't really have any self-doubt because I've proven to myself that I can do anything I put my mind to because I've been through it. It just took a long time. So I say to younger people or people, older people, anyone who's just going to give up whatever they're doing to chase what they really want to do. And I go, can I just tell you something, champ? And they're like, what? And I go, everyone has self-doubt. The rock has self-doubt. 
the greatest comedians in the world, you know, um, a Dave Chappelle, before he walks out, I'm sure he has a moment in, in the thing where he goes, what if I'm not funny? What if, what if this is – and it's called uh, it's called imposter complex. Yeah, where imposter syndrome. You, imposter syndrome where um, I've been on a guy called Craig Harper's um, podcast many times and he talked about that. I remember when he was on Channel 10 being this fitness guy, yeah. which helped me when I became the spokesperson for the fitness industry. I'm like – <laughs> Who are you to be doing this? Now, who's anyone else to be doing that? And I have this like this meeting going on in my head. And they go, ah, ah, ah. It's nuts. But my point is, if you're worried about self doubt, you just need to accept that we all have it. But it's what you do with it. You go, okay, okay, I doubt myself right now. So I better go out there and kick some ass. I better get on with this day. I better get out of my head, right, and into the process. I better get out of my house and get to the gym. I better get out of my office and on stage or whatever the hell it is that you're chasing. Just know that we all have self-doubts and you just got to knock them down. you got to get really busy in your mind so you can't sit there overthinking self-doubt because it will engulf you and it will stop you from being what you want to be. Well, I think ultimately it comes down to the courage to confront it, right? Is is having the awareness that everybody experiences self-doubt. Most people experience Well, that's some why I share that with people because I don't think yeah, anyone else does. Some yeah, everyone level, does. Some level of imposter syndrome. Yeah. The difference is are you able to confront it and have the courage to do it anyway or do you go, no, 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 this is too uncomfortable. I'm just not going to try because I can't go down that path. Right. And, and to me that that's the scariest option so I can never do that. Yeah. But for other people, I'll just, I'll just take the easy way out. It's not easy. Hating, about, hating yourself for not taking a shot yeah. is not easy either. Yeah. What about failure? <clears throat> well, fear of failure. Mm. All right? So we talked about self-doubt, fear of failure. So you get over the self-doubt and you go, all right, I'm just going to go and have a thing. And, and you go, what if I fail? Well, I always just think, what's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. What's the absolute worst thing that can happen? You fail, okay? So I tried and I failed, but I tried. Right? And I've always had this thing. And I remember someone said, what's your, your greatest fear in life? I go, well, I don't fear heights. I've always sort of been an adrenaline person. I don't really fear any – any other man, I don't fear confrontation. Like most people hate confrontation. I hate this. I don't give a fuck. Yours is the same as mine. My greatest fear is to die with regret. 100%. Is to know that your days are coming to an end and you go, you know what? I just wasted this shit because I was fucking weak. I was too weak to confront my fears. And I, I, I just to me, that's just scary. I, I, I cringe thinking about it. Mm. And I think how many people waste their life you know, because they just didn't have the balls to just say, you motherfucker, just get off your ass and try. And if you fail, who gives a fuck? At least you won't lie there going, what if I had a tried? Yeah. But when I opened my second gym, it was the biggest thing I had to mortgage my house. What if I fail? What if I don't? I'm going to be miserable wondering, what if I had had my shot? What if I hadn't had the balls and resilience to say, I'm going to build this brand into this bodybuilding show, into this expo, into this Arnold Classic. And what if I had done all that and someone else had got the shot? Well, I did every single thing I could to be in that position and it wasn't meant to be me. It wasn't. Or what if I had just tanked the first year and failed? Okay, well, I said, I'm shit at this, but at least I know I won't be doing that again. It's like anything, Joe. If you don't try, you're just going to have regret. And to me, that over, overrides everything. So fear of failure, we've all got fear of failure. And, yes, failure is a possibility. I've failed as many times as I've won, you know, but probably, I don't take it as probably, failure. Probably more. Yeah. When I, when I actually give this conscious thought and I go, let me look at my balance sheet of wins and losses. Right, <laughs> no, I'm, like this. I'm, and I'm like, fucking hell, like my failures are – 
it's a much longer list than the successes, but for sure. But what people don't understand about failure, and I've got this wonderful saying: success is failure turned inside out. Hundred percent. Right. So what you do with your failure is what determines your outcome. Once again, it's your attitude. So you go, okay, I failed. Next minute, what did I learn? Okay, one, you know, don't try that. You shit at it. All right, park that. What did I learn? Learned that you're good at um, sticking to your word. You learned that you're good at a process. You learned that you're good at this, or you learned not to trust people so easily. You learn. There's a whole lot of things in there that you can learn, and it's your takeaways, right? So, is that a failure? No, because I hadn't have failed along the way, and I hadn't have taken as long as I did, for example, to do the Arnold Classic. I would have fucked it up. Yeah. Like when Jim Lorimer looked at this 24 year old kid and said, "We start Monday." I'm like, "No way." And I'll go when I first went to. Um, Meet Arnold in Columbus, uh, 2014, the year before my first show. I had to, I got through all the partners and the IFBB and the Lorimers, everything. They go, one more step. You've got to come and, and meet Arnold. We're going to have all the partners from around the world. I told this story a hundred um, times. We had all the partners from around the world come and meet Arnold and he'll sign off as to whether he wants you to be his partner. And, uh, I remember there was a group there from Spain. They spoke really well. They brought government people. There was a group there from Brazil. They'd already done one, so they spoke really well. There was a group there from South Africa who were still pitching and they had all this government support, um, money from the province, all this sort of shit. You know, had all these spokespeople with them. Um, uh, there was a group from China and there was a group from Australia. What I didn't know was that there was the word group. So I went and had a new suit made and everything else and I go into this like this ballroom and there was six or seven tables of ten and each one had a placard on it saying South Africa, China, Europe, Australia. So there's ten sets of knives and it's just, you know, uh, white tablecloth, silver service, all that, ten settings of plates. I went on my own, man. I didn't know. <laughs> so I've rocked in, set out my own, there's all these other, you know, delegations. Yeah. And then Jim Lorimer gets up to make a speech. He said, we're going to get um, one delegate from each table to talk and address Governor Schwarzenegger and say why should they should be the partner. So I looked at him at my table and go, it looks like it's you, it's you champ. Yep. <laughs> um, and then Arnold walked in, you know, and, of course, he walks into a room. This is the first time, I mean, I'd met Arnold along the way, but I never, he never would, would have known who I was. This is the first time someone says, this is Tony, right? So he walks past me and told me, he goes, what are you doing there on your own? And I said, oh, it's just me, man. He goes, come and sit at my table. You can't be sitting there like that. So I went and sat at his table of 10, right? And then uh, everyone got up and made their speech. Long story, I won't go right into it. But remember the people from China who never went ahead and did it were on before me. And the Chinese guy had an interpreter, an interpreter and he was he was really appeared angry. I don't know what he was saying. And uh, his interpreter shake head go, welcome, uh, we welcome the Chinese delegation to Columbus. And then he'd go on about this. It was like he was going to have a, a heart attack. He was fucking red, he's screaming, and she'd just go, uh, we want to bring Arnold Classic China. And I'm like, he's shit house. They're just tanking. And then Blomer goes, next we'll have Tony from Australia go, he's not a hard act to follow. This is going to be good. But where I'm going with this, the reason I'm sharing it, is because I didn't have – Government funding. I didn't have a whole lot of money behind me. I'm here. I go again. So there's this fear of failure, self doubt, and here I am about to, in this lovely suit I had made in front of all these partners around the world who've got all the goods. And I think think back to that kid that had the gym with no money and no education. And they go, here I am again, 25 years later, and or 20 years later, and it's it's just me. Fuck. 
Now I've got to say something tricky to convince Arnold that I'm the guy without money backing government support delegations. See what I said? I got up and I said, Arnold, if we go ahead and do Australia, I said, I don't really know how we're going to pull it off, but I know I've done all this in the past to set me up for this, and I know that right now it's 361 days until I welcome you on stage in Australia, and I will guarantee you that I will go home and I will work every day, all day, every day for 361 days until you get there, and I won't let you down. I just said that. Here's this kid who got frightened by Jim Lorimer saying, I'm going to start work Monday morning. Here I am. I'm going to start work Monday morning and I've got an extra week because it was a week after. So it's 361 days. I've got 361 days. I ain't going to have a day off. And I made a pledge to myself right there and then, no days off, no matter what. And remember, I was going up against like there was the Australian Fitness Expo and Firelex and all this, but we had teams of people. I'm like, well, what's my strength? Because you always got to find your strength. I go, well, they knock off at five o'clock. They go to the pub. They go out for dinner. No one works weekends. Okay, so I get two extra days a week and I can work from five till midnight. I get an extra seven hours a day. Me alone can beat their team up. And it wasn't about them, but it was about me saying, well, my strength is that I'm not going to stop. And I remember Arnold just shook his head and he clapped and he walked over to my table, which was his table, our table, and he puts his arms around me, which he didn't do for the other business. It was a fantastic speech. He goes, we're going to be working together. I'll, I'll announce it in a minute. And he got up and said, I want to welcome Australia. This is the date for the Australian Arnold next year. And I went home. Guess what I did? Went to work. 361 days straight, Joe. I didn't, not, I didn't switch off. And that's what it takes. So when people say, oh, fear of failure, if I work for 361 days, there's no fear of failure because mm. I'll learn a whole lot and if that doesn't get it done, nothing will. It's interesting because it's a, it's a, it's a shift in mindset that, um, you know, it's, it's funny because we've spoken so much around COVID and how that affected you. And, you know, uh, once again, I don't know anybody personally who was as affected by COVID as you were across all different, everything that you do was, um, you know, just watching it from a distance was, um, fucking heartbreaking to be completely honest. Um, but I think all of us had different experiences of, uh, dealing with the fallout of something that wasn't our fault but our responsibility to deal with. One of the big things that I took out of and I've really kind of taken out of the last three years is this change in mindset from first and foremost primarily identifying as an achiever or a winner to primarily identifying as somebody who learns. And that for me has been a really crucial part of confronting fear of failure because now when I look at failure through the lens of somebody who primarily identifies as someone who learns, it goes, well, worst case scenario, what I'm trying to achieve doesn't happen. I fail, but I learn lessons along the way. Got a bit I of take, skill set. I take those lessons. I apply them to the next thing. I get better. Yeah, okay, maybe I haven't achieved, but I fucking learned. And then maybe what you learned will achieve something way bigger. And this always, is what I've done. And we get to the third part, yeah. worrying about what other people think. And it's ingrained into a fucking mentality. And that's why I hated the education system because it taught me. So I remember I was at school and they had like this careers thing. And they go, what do you guys want to do? And they're like, um, school teacher, work in a bank, be an accountant, go to uni. They were the kind of things. And they'd bring someone in from the bank. This is in the country of Victoria in yeah. the 80s. 
primary school in the 70s, secondary school in the 80s. They bring in someone from like a bank saying, yeah, you can be a bank teller. I'm sitting there going, fuck it, kill me. Kill me. <laughs> you mean to count me now. And, and, and I'm thinking, yeah. I'm, I'm looking up things, fluorescent lights in a box with other people I hate. Nah, I prefer to be a crook. <laughs> I'm like, nah, not for me. And then all these things, so I always say, this dream they were selling, I'm not buying it. And then when I was like, I think 13, about to turn 14, Arnold came on TV and he was promoting his book called The Education of a Bodybuilder, right? And uh, here's this guy with this confidence. And one, I was impressed with his muscle, but I'd never seen a bodybuilder. I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And this is when I started following bodybuilding. And I said to my dad, what's that? And he goes, he's a bodybuilder. I go, can anyone look like that? And he goes, I guess so. He's fucking, because those tubby little prickies, like, probably, uh, you know, stop eating you know, junk food and go yeah. to the gym or something to learn yeah. about it. But yeah. what's that thing in his arm? He goes, this is a big rope thing. He goes, it's a vein. <laughs> I go, once again, I said, can anyone look like that? And he said, I guess so. And my mental shift right there and then, if you can look like that, why would you not? Why does everyone want to get around looking like an untrained, like a 13-year-old girl as a grown-up man when you can look like that? But it wasn't his body, it was his confidence that won me. I'm like, I've never seen anyone like this in my life. Here's this guy with broken English on a, it was one of those night talk shows in Australia, like I don't remember who it was, might have been Don Lane or someone like that, right, who's interviewing him and he's got this confidence, this big jaw and he's just looking down, just just commanding, just being this alpha motherfucker. I'm like, Phew. So back to school and, you know, the careers guy comes, what do you want to do? I said, I'm going to be a gym owner, a bodybuilder and a promoter. They're like, no, 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 you just get that out of your head. You know, you've got to go to college and do this. And that that was my light bulb moment. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So everyone said, no, you, 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 you can't do that. It's not normal. You know, you you need you need something to fall back on. Even my dear dad, he's like, just please, he goes, I gave up all this stuff so you can go to college because I didn't get to go. Just go to university. Just get a certificate in something. Do an apprentice. Just do something to fall back on just in case. I'm like, if I just – do the just in case, I said, I'm just not going to be committed to what I want to do. So I need to burn the bridge. You know what I mean? Burn the bridge. It means when you get to the other side, burn the bridge because there ain't no fucking going back. So I worked for myself since I was 19. Never had a proper job. Um, just just thought, I'm just going to take on the world and do it my way. So when we say, worry, don't worry about what other people think, if I had worried about what people thought, I'd be working in a fucking bank or I'd be a school teacher. I'd be dead, to be fair. I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't have lived that life. Mm-hmm. And it goes through everything. So, you know, people just want to do shit in their life and they go, oh, what's someone going to think? You know, I remember I was little, I got my ear pierced, whatever. My, one of my aunties goes, oh, something wrong with you. You're you gay or something. I go, no, it's just a fashion thing. I just want to be a tough guy, you know. And, um, and so, or, you know, you want to get a tattoo. Oh, but what will my dear old auntie think? Or what will my mum think? Or what will someone in a business meeting think, you know? And I remember um, when I went to meet Jim Lorimer, for the first three years, you know, I wore long um, sleeves because Bob said, Dad doesn't like tattoos, he's a really straight guy. Yeah. I thought, well, I'm going to show him what a fucking cool program, how endearing I am as a partner. And then I remember in Hong Kong and I come down, one more, we'd had a big night, I come down and had my sleeves rolled up, I walked into breakfast and Jim <laughs> just looked at me and goes, I don't like tattoos. Well, he goes, but they look good on you. You're yeah. cool. Well, see, now, if I had worried about what people thought, never would have got him. If I had worried about what he thought, I wouldn't have the confidence to be his partner because I would have thought, oh, Jim Lorimer's not going to like me because I look like a, a badass or whatever. Or, you know, I love motorcycles. No one wanted me to get a motorcycle. Right? It's given me so much joy and it's been my greatest release and helped me through so much to get on a bike and go for a ride when I need to. It's not just those little things, but it, it's everything that 
you worry about what other people think so you don't do it and once again you get old and you go, that person that I worried about what they thought never gave a fuck about me. When I was down and out, they laughed at me and kicked me and I didn't go and live the life I wanted because I was worried about what fucking Auntie Eileen thought. Like, yeah. No. Don't give a fuck. No one cares. This is what, at the end of the day, you've got to realise no one really fucking cares. And anyone that does is a beautiful bonus in your life. But if you have this attitude that no one's going to care at the end of the day, they're going to care about the kind of person you are and the kindness you show and what you do for other people and how you lead and how you live your life and what you can do for others, all those things. Not whether you get a fucking tattoo or ride a motorcycle or give up your job to go to Europe for six months because you've dreamed of it. Fucking take a chance. I just say to people, you know what? What are you going to do? You've got this burning idea and thing in your mind and you're worried about what other people think. People don't think. That's why they're doing what they're doing. That's why they're boring. It all comes back to regret. For, for me, so much of it, you know, one of the things that I do um, quite frequently, it's a, it's a little bit morbid, but I find that it helps me confront these three fears in particular, is I meditate on my mortality. And I go, you know what, if, if this is the last week that I have to live. Let's say tomorrow I get a cancer diagnosis and I've got a month That's left. pretty fucking morbid, Joe. I know it is. <laughs> couldn't I told you, just you it was said, morbid. You could have just said right. a fucking meteor hits the earth or something. Well, you know, oh, on, get I'll, hit I'll, by I'll, a bus or I'll whatever. Let's go that you one. Know. But whatever it is, right, and I kind of go like this, you know, all of us, like no one's ever escaped death in the history of humans. Never happened. We all have the same final destination. And I think about it a lot and I go, you know what? What scares me the most? It's not actually death. It's dying with regret. It's all of the things that I didn't do because I was either afraid that I was going to fail or I would had too much self-doubt or I gave… Someone else didn't approve? I gave a fuck of whatever, what someone else thought. Someone else's opinion prevented me from doing what it was I truly wanted to do. And I come back to it, I meditate on my mortality and I go, you know what? Regret scares the absolute shit out of me. So what do I have to do right now to make sure? Just in case. Just in case. There's no regrets. But we'll take one step further. I think it's it's kind of public record. Google me. I've had some near-death experiences. Mm -hmm. I was nearly shot. Um, Caught up in something that was nothing to do with me. Um, Had a gun pointed at my head by a madman. And I've never talked about this on a podcast, so here's the first. And... It was probably the greatest day of my fucking life because I went home that night, went home to my wife at the time and kids and thought, oh, I may not have gone home tonight. I was this second and I've never ever reenacted this. For Imagine someone shooting at your mate, looking at you like this and then picking a thing up and going bang, bang, bang and fucking shells flying over your head and you're cowering going, not me, not today, right? Just to give you an idea of how fucking real this was. And um, this is something I've never, ever shared, even in my talk. So this one's for you. And changed my fucking life. I thought, I thought you know, I had no um, – I thought I'd done everything I wanted to do and everything else. I remember getting home that night and I went, I could have been dead. I remember it was, it was November and then all my mates used to come over for New Year's Eve. And I remember I had these bottles of Grange in the fridge and had these really expensive cigars and my mates were there and go, Let's go. I got these hundred dollars cigars. What are you doing? Keep it for another day. I go. There is no other fucking day. I opened a bottle of Grange. We drank it, and I go. There's another one there. I think it's even better. I go. No, no. That's worth a thousand dollars. That's the fucking point. What was I waiting for? For a perfect fucking day. And 
we lit it up and we drank all this wine and and I, I thought I'm from now on, I mean, I was pretty loose. From now on, I'm not going to do that shit anymore. I'm going to appreciate everyone in my life. I'm going to appreciate my kids. I'm going to appreciate what I've got. And then going forward, that part of my life fell apart. And I'm like, I ain't going to hate. I ain't going to be jaded or twisted or bitter. And I remember saying this to you, let's get on with our lives and let's be better for the experience and show other guys how to act and how to deal with shit because it's going to happen. Stuff's going to happen to you, all right? That's how you deal with it. It's going to define your future. So I've had a few other moments, similar sort of things to that, where I've had to look life and death in the eye and go, that was a bit too close. And what you take away from that is that mortality. You go, you know what? Could have gone left or right. And every day now is a bonus. So we'll say, well, what are you going to do tomorrow? I'll go, every fucking thing I can. I don't plan. I don't write. I know you're a bit of a journal writer. I don't. I just, I, I, I've got a kind of photographic, I, like, I, I make lists in my head and I go, I'm going to be able to sleep when I get through all that in this given day. And I just try and think if, if you can just attack life every single day and go to bed and go, fuck, couldn't have done much more today. Yeah, it doesn't get any better, man. And it, 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 it's, it's kind of deep because you stop and think about the things that are important to you and the things that you value. And you know what? I found after that I was more grateful for my friends. I could call my mates and tell them I love them. And my mum and dad, they get sick of me. I'm like, just fucking tell you I love you. They go, what's wrong with you? They're old school. You know, just funny stuff like that. You know, my partners in business and stuff and I, be, I became more giving. I became more, just more attuned, I think, to everything around me and the importance of living in the moment. I always say, look, there's nothing you can do about yesterday, right? If you did something fucking horrible or you hurt someone you didn't mean to, it's something you can't unsay, you ran over someone in the car park and kept going. doesn't matter what you did. You can't change yesterday at all. There's fuck all you can do about it. Nothing. If the world closed down yesterday because of a pandemic, there's nothing you can fucking do about it. Then you think about, well, what can you do about um, tomorrow? As you said, you might get a diagnosis of a mediocre hit by a bus. There's fuck all you can do about tomorrow. So there's nothing to do about yesterday, nothing to do about tomorrow. What do you got left? Present Today, moment. man. Yep. Like I said, but just live in the moment. It's all it's hard. I'm fucking. You don't know what hard is. I mean, we're in a society that's so fucking co- wrapped in cotton wool and so soft and so easily offended and all this political correctness and everything that we're just getting rammed in our throats drives me mental. And when you said, we were talking before, you said, oh, you lost so much with the gyms and the Arnold. The biggest thing I lost was my life, my lifestyle. Man, I was away seven or eight months of the year, going to 10 countries a year, going to places I couldn't have thought up. But the places I went to, and I've written a lot about this, where I've been to favelas in, in Brazil, I've been to townships in South Africa, I've been to slums in India. And I'm going to tell you a quick story. I was in Mumbai once, I had this driver staying in this beautiful hotel. I almost felt bad staying there. He said, some of these temples and this and that. He goes, what else do you want to see? I said, would it be inappropriate to go into a slum, a functional slum? He goes, no, no, there's one really close to here. I'll be taking you. And I remember going there, seeing some of the happiest people I've ever seen in my life, seeing these kids in this dirt patch, which would be mud six months of the year, dirt, no plants. They had a cricket ball they'd made out of packing tape, right, and a stick. And there was like a hundred of them in a, in a, in a 200 square metre pitch playing this game of cricket or whatever and, you know, fight and carrying on stick fights and all this sort of thing. Happiest kids you've ever seen. Nothing. 
people um, opening up their 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 shanties, saying, "Would you like to come in and eat?" Sharing, wanting to share their rice or whatever they had for the day, you know, where they're sharing running water. Where he said, oh, "I live in a great slum. There's only six families share one toilet. We keep it really clean." It was a fucking hole in the ground. You know, and this is the sort of stuff that I miss that gave me so much perspective. Um, and this is what I'm most grateful for. What are the coolest things you've seen and done? You know, I think oh, it's going to be some tower in Shanghai or it's going to be some eating some restaurant with Arnold, you know, in Barcelona, looking over the city with the, the mayor or the governor. It's, it's that, man. That's why when I say to someone, it's not hard doing what we do because I've seen kids in townships in Africa where there's a million people in a suburb the size of, Edwardstown or Norwood, a suburb that size with over a million people in in huts made of tin and tyres and upturned boats and little kids seeing a plane in the air knowing in this lifetime there's no way they're ever going to get onto an aircraft, right? And if they're really, really lucky and they walk to school every day, they might get a shot at having a job or a car or maybe sleeping in an apartment one time. That's perspective, man. So I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with people? Like, people say, oh, it's so hard. It's not fucking hard. You're making it hard because you think too much about dumb shit. Do. Don't think do. Do. Do everything every day. That's why I can't quit, Joe. It's kind of, this is like psychology sitting here with you because I'm examining how I think and, and it's kind of made me feel pretty good about it. It's incredible. It, it, you know, the the uh, perspective that you have um, through your, just through your experience, just through your life experience. And thank you so much for sharing that because I really think, you know, especially that the, the story that you shared that you've never shared before around, you know, being so close to death uh, because I think that, you know, that's ultimate perspective, you know, when you, when you actually come face-to-face with your own mortality, uh, nothing is going to really kind of ingrain what's truly important more than something like that. So thank you, Tony. Thanks, Jeff. That's good, man. And uh, just said, I'm just really proud of you and your progress and what you've built. And I remember, you know, back in the early days of FitX, I remember Scott was doing a so I've got this guy from Adelaide, Massive Joe. <laughs> Massive Scott Joe Bradley, goes, oh, yeah, yeah, he's got yeah. a couple of shops. Yeah, you know, he's doing yeah, these supplements, yeah, and you've yeah. built a brand. We're talking, we're going to touch on branding, but mm. what you've built, man, is amazing. And just seeing your family involvement, and just you, uh, like I walk into your office, and it reminds me of a ship. And there's the captain up there in the wheelhouse, yeah. right, taking on all the bad weather, all the storms, not telling everyone that it's raining outside, and there's a cyclone coming. Mm. Just, just leading, leading by doing, not talking, not showing off, fucking just doing. Doing, showing up first to get here, last to leave. Well, I've learned from the best. I learned from each other. Learned from the best. All right. I need to ask you one final question because if I don't ask you this question, (laughs) I'm going to get DMs left, right, and center saying, Joe, how did you not get that out of Tony? Expos, fitness expos. Arnold Sports Festival, Arnold Classic, bodybuilding shows, pro bodybuilding shows. What does it look like over the next few years in Australia? Uh, you know, I don't have a, a direct answer, so I'm not going to bullshit and just make one up. But I'll, I'll give you the best I've got. Um, I got burnt, as we've talked about, really, really badly financially, um, uh, credibility-wise, e- everything. 
you know, it, 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 I'm still in a recovery phase. But the bodybuilding shows are back, bigger and better than ever. And I'm looking at doing some kind of pro shows in 2024. Um, I'd love to bring back the Australian pro, for example, the Australian pro bodybuilding um, with a couple of other, other categories now that they're getting so big and getting that going again. Um, as far as expos go, if I was to do expos again, whether it be with Arnold or um, what I developed with the, the FitFest idea was to do a similar kind of thing but with a different celebrity every year. So I'd be the brand but I'd bring in, it might be Mark Wahlberg, for example, he's into fitness. It might be Shaq. It might be one day The Rock yeah. where I bring someone in as our special guest and that way the fans and the VIP guests get a different picture with someone every year, different um, fan, super fan, VIP experience and that person um, is, you know, hungry to go and meet all the exhibitors and all the sports and all that sort of thing. Because I think with the Arnold brand, it's fantastic and I've loved every minute of it, but if you've had your picture taken six years in a row with Arnold yes. and then it's kind of your way up the the, the the value. You go, well, I can spend $400 on the best seat in the house or $1,000 to get a picture. Eh. Yep. And that impacts obviously on the income and everything else. Yep. And then, you know, post-COVID, Arnold's been more reluctant to – to want to integrate with sponsors and be touched and around people. And I get that at 75 years old and with the success that he's had. So I think I'd probably go in a different direction as far as the face of the expo, but not that I wouldn't have Arnold back here. I'd love to have him as the guest of the expo, maybe for the first one, I'm not sure. Um, but then I'd, I'd get rid of all the sports that aren't me, that I don't have a passion for. And with the Arnold Sports Festival, and this is not even through Arnold's fault, it was kind of a combination of Jim Lorimer and Arnold and what, our, our briefer, our agenda was, was to get as many sports involved every year as we could, right? And we got to the point where we were all out doing each other. So we'd get to Barcelona and it'd be like, how many sports do we have this year? Is it more than last year? And we'd be, yeah, last year we had 45, this year we've got 54. And they'd put in a fucking pool table or a table tennis uh, uh, board and, and say, well, there's an extra sport. So all of a sudden the Arnold grew into this thing where from a business, and you've got to always think with a business mind, 50% of the expo space we were giving away to sports that didn't bring people in. Yeah. So who's coming to watch fencing? Who's coming to watch kids play chess, Rubik's Cube? Yes, it's entertaining. We had cup stacking. Who's a fuck? I mean, it's, it's great. I'd like to watch it on someone else's TV show or a, a game show or a, a Australia's Got Talent. Not giving away, you know, $40,000 space at my expo. So from a business point of view, it got harder and harder to make money. So I learned. We were talking about learning. So when we developed the FitFest model before that got cancelled twice, that was going to be bodybuilding, powerlifting, strongman, maybe pole fitness, maybe that medieval sword fighting because we all love that, and that's about it. And then lots of booths from sponsors and lots of interactive stuff, pro show on the main stage, pro qualify, all of that. So that's um, – that's the model if I do it again. So it might be 2024, might be 2025. Because, for example, the Melbourne Convention Exhibition Centre, the deposit is $120,000 a year in advance. That's a lot of money when you've just lost, you know, 1.5 million plus um, cancelling expos. And then there's my credibility with the exhibitors and sponsors that didn't get all the value. If they got all the advertising value, but obviously they didn't get to do their booth, even if we advertise them continually for years and all the rest of it. There can be a perception there that they go, oh, what if it gets cancelled? I don't know. What if it gets cancelled? So I've kind of had my fingers burnt like that. I don't want to let – I fucking hate letting people down, mm. you know, and I've got all these people. When it, same thing when I do my Instagram thing. There's always ten questions. There's going to be another Arnold Expo. So I'd never say never, mm -hmm. and it might be that I've got to find a partner, someone who says, you know what, I'll come in as a financial partner. You've got the know-how and the crew 
and the contacts to do it, yep. but we'll take some of the, the pressure and workload off you. Financial it might be risk. that. Yep. So I guess I'm waiting for something to present itself mm-hmm. where I go, there, there we go, we're on, we're on. And I'm, Sounds I'm very always, familiar, Tony. I'm always this fucking close, Joe. Yeah. Like I'm this close, and this is what I talked about earlier, is you've got to have yourself ready for your shot. Yeah. You've got to do all the work. You said, you know. It's preparation. Preparation meets opportunity. Meets opportunity. Yep. Well, I'm always preparing, right, with everything I do so that I'm putting myself in a position where I can flick that switch. In The office is still there. All the contacts are still there. I know exactly how to do it, and I know how not to do it. So after five years of doing the Arnold, and the last year we didn't really make any money. And when I put that under the microscope, see in COVID, the good thing is I put everything in my life under the microscope, personal, business, gyms, expos, other projects, everything. Well, why are we doing that for? That doesn't make money. That doesn't pay its bill. We could make the bodybuilding prize money bigger if we didn't have table tennis, for example. All right, and I'm going to think up a whole lot of scenarios like that. So I'm always only this close to flicking this, which is which is why I never say no, never. If I said no, never, that would mean no, never, and I've never have not said that. So I know that's a wishy washy kind of answer, but it's it's just sitting there on the back burner, waiting to be ignited. And I've still got a passion for it, and I love it. Um, but it's a lot of fucking work, man. It's, oh yeah. It took over um, my whole existence, you know. And in not doing that. Um, the upside is the bodybuilding shows are better because we haven't been doing the expo. The gyms are better because we haven't been doing the expo. Because one, I was on the road seven months of the year, but two, when I was home, that was just so um, engulfing. It just takes up so much resource and money and time. Because, well, like, uh, like you said, Jim said, starts on Monday, the yeah, day after, yeah, you start prepping yeah, for yeah. the next And that's one. what I don't think people realise how much work goes into that, the oh, detail. It's incredible. And it wasn't yeah. – and, and uh, let me be really – clear about this. Yeah. I had the best Arnold Sports Festival in the fucking world mm-hmm. as far as cleanliness, as far as setting up on time, as far as no boxes in the aisles, as far as security, rubbish removal. Um, it just it, look, Brazil, as far as the booth builds, insane. Forget about it. No one could because they've got companies down there with money. They build literally homes, three-story things inside the expo. But as far as the running and the efficiency and the marketing and the branding, I was the best in the fucking world at what I did. And there's not many times you can actually look at yourself and go, you're the best in the world at something, yeah. you know. And, you know, when I've emceed those big shows and I walk off and go, that's pretty fucking cool. No, no one else can do that. So I do know that about running expos and I'm really fucking good at it, you know. It's just some things happened outside of our control that sideswiped us all. And it's kind of like we're all going through a bit of rehab now, but we'll be mm-hmm. back. Yeah, getting back on our feet. Yeah, man. Once again, man, comes back to yeah. What do you think? You think we should do? I'll put it back on you. You're a, you're a, a retailer and a yeah. a big brand. You know, yeah. would you like to see um, my style of expo back in Australia? I think the way that you're thinking about it is the right direction that it needs to go. Meaning, coming back to what makes business sense coming back to what makes sense for consumers um, and really coming back to what brings the most value to all of the interested parties. I think that that's the direction that it needs to go. And I think that we'll, we'll probably look back on that and we'll, you know, I, I know it's very difficult to be grateful for COVID, um, but I think that there are going to be little pockets where we can kind of go, you know what, I'm really happy that I did have that opportunity to just, to just question the status quo, to yeah. just step out of it. Put the brakes on for a sec. Put the brakes 
and just really kind of go through, like you said, with a fine tooth comb. Let me have a look at this. Let me go down here and explore over here. Does this make sense? Does that make sense? Or are we just in the pattern of doing what we've always done because it's the way we've always done it? Uh, we all get stuck in that. And I think 100%. that's, that's pre That's where we were at, you know, and, and I was kind of was, was grateful to step in, away. In, I was the same in my business. Yeah. You know, Too many so, shops. So many things that we kind of went back and we were like, well, mm, you know what? We, we're on this path and we've been on this path. We've never really questioned if this is working. And now it's our opportunity to go through with a fine tooth comb and really start picking it apart and go, you know what? We're fucking, we've got nothing left to lose. We've got nothing left to lose. And when you take your ego out of it, you can actually make some hard decisions. Go, I'm only doing that because I want to be the guy you know, or whatever. 100%. So it's, it, it's, it's been a real learning curve with that. But yeah. I think when – what it's taught us is I know what people want. I know what they love about what we do. Yeah. So I just figure if we're going to do it, just give people what they fucking want, not this perceived um, thing that's going well, to get government I mean, support. Looking, it's going yeah. to have so many extra sports to to go up and say, oh, we're bigger than the Olympics. Who gives a fuck? How many times I've sat there you know, doing press conferences with Arnold and go, you know, yeah. it's bigger than any Olympic Games as far as the amount of athletes, as far as the but has anyone heard of it at, like in an Olympic world or anyone give a fuck or any governments throwing $6 million at it or or having a bidding war to get you? No, no one gives a fuck. You know, and for too long I tried to get, you know, acceptance and and funding and support from the Victorian government. Yeah. Even though we were in the top five events in the state, they didn't give a fuck. I got more um, uh, um Interaction with them being the spokesperson for the fitness industry during COVID yeah. and addressing government ministers yeah. and advisors than yeah. I did in six years of doing expos. Yeah. So what do you learn from that? Yeah. Just snap out of it, son. They don't give a fuck. So I had to go, oh, Jesus. I thought we had to go down that path because that's what we've always done. No, what a waste of time. Yeah. Tens of thousands of dollars doing economic impact studies and lining up meetings and getting you know, people in who present things for me to put in front of government people and then just have them go, oh, your five minutes is up, it's not for us. Yeah. Fucking hell, what could I have done in that month with bodybuilding or with gyms or with things that people want to see? You just – sometimes you go back and slap yourself. Yeah. You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> you really do. She's always blind. Uh, yeah. Tony, thank you so much. It's been uh, it's been an incredible chat. I know we've gone a lot longer than we expected, but that usually happens when I go on podcast. Joe, well, I should have warned that you. It kind of happens when you and I get talking as well. I know it, it took us forty five minutes to start this podcast because we, <laughs> we went down the garden path of I don't even know what we were discussing. But uh, but thank Life. you so much. Um, you know, you're you're uh, an incredibly well respected um, figurehead in the industry godfather of bodybuilding as i mentioned a couple of times um you know so many people really uh hang on every word that you have to say and take so much inspiration and motivation from your journey so i really thank you for for sharing that journey and sharing bits and parts of that journey that you haven't shared publicly before uh and as you know you're you know you're one of my personal mentors um i call you my big brother uh, because we have uh we have a, a a really beautiful personal relationship aside from all the business projects that we work on together um so i just want to say thank you really appreciate you um giving up your time to to come on the show i know the listeners have uh, really enjoyed this episode the well, I hope, really I hope so, man. If someone can take something out of it and just go, you know, fuck it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be me. Uh, this that's is, that's this that's is, what I want. That's what I want to share with people. Just say, just be you, man. Just like you got one life, you got one shot. Just fucking roll the dice, go for it. 
meditate on your mortality, focus on what you can do, what you can't. There's, I mean, there's so much value in this. Is going to be one of those episodes that people are going to come back and listen to on repeat many times. And uh, one of those episodes that people share for sure. Cheers, man. Thank and you. you guys know that is the one thing that we ask in return. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode, if you've enjoyed listening to Tony's story and all of the words of wisdom that he shared uh, over the last couple of hours, the one thing we ask in return is that you share the show. Take a screenshot on your favorite podcasting platform at the moment. Post it in your Instagram story. Tag Tony at Tony Doherty O's. Z, yep. Oz, Tony Doherty, Oz. Tag myself at Joseph Metzel. Um, Tony and I will share those. We'll see those tags and then we'll share them, uh, as many of them as we possibly can. And Tony, the best place to find you, obviously, is on Instagram. Yeah, look, I'm not good at all the other – we yeah. didn't touch on all the other social things. Instagram works for me. Yeah, I does. love it. You know, I always yeah. answer my DMs when I get a chance. I do question and answers and there all the time. you're incredibly active on Instagram as well. You know, for, I try to for, be, yeah. for, for somebody that has um, as much going on as you do, you really do take the time to interact um, on Instagram. You're doing Q&As every couple of weeks. You're getting back to DMs. You're posting. You're getting back to comments. I I'll see tell it. them a few home truths. Yeah. I light up. Look, I yeah. just find it's a place I can just be me. Yeah, and if is. you follow me, you yeah. already know I don't give a fuck. And if you get offended, then you unfollow me. It works itself out <laughs> really, really quick. <laughs> yeah. But uh, guys, make sure if you're not already following Tony that you do. Um, as I mentioned, he's very, he's very active on Instagram and, and always providing a whole lot of value. Tony, thank you once again. Appreciate you. Guys, you could have been anywhere in the world right now, but you're here with us. We appreciate that. Until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode. We hope you enjoyed listening. A couple of things to round out. Firstly, if you've yet to subscribe to the Fitness Times Business Podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure you do that right now so you don't miss any future episodes. Secondly, if you guys took some value from this episode, the one thing we ask in return is that you share the show. And finally, if you've yet to leave us a five-star rating, make sure you do that before the next episode.